my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. Uh, this is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. Uh, this is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. It's wonderful to have you with us again. Whether you're listening in your car or whether you're listening by our absolutely wonderful app. And if you don't have the app on your phone, uh, just go to your favourite app store, look at Drive, to, uh, look at Faith FM Australia, and you'll be able to get that app. It's a fantastic uh, little app. I'm Pastor Gary, minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. It really is fantastic uh, to be able to be with you once again. This week we're taking as our theme the radical teachings in the parables of Christ. And today we ask, could God really like me? This is so core to our understanding of both the character of God and also to the work of, work of Christ. Today our co-host is Pastor Will Moala. Will is the Senior Minister to the Para Vista Seventh-day Adventist Church and also to the Gawler Church in um, uh, here in Adelaide. Will, it is fantastic to have you with us. Lovely to be with you in this studio, Gary. Uh, you bring a, a real youthful exuberance uh, to our uh, to our program. Uh, thank well, you that's so a much. compliment. Thank you. <laughs> well, spring has certainly arrived, hasn't it? Certainly has. I'm actually quite glad because uh, let me tell you, Gary. It is. I've I've only been in Adelaide since the beginning of the year. Love my lovely wife and and my young daughter. And uh, I can can I tell you something? It has been a very very cold winter. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what's going on here. I mean, we've been on the East Coast for the last seven, eight years. But let me tell you, this has been a winter to remember. We cannot wait till spring and summer comes around. Well, I tell you what, <laughs> we will we will toughen you up here in Adelaide. <laughs> we will toughen you up. Spring and autumn are absolutely delightful in uh, here in Adelaide. I know I've uh, just this morning I was out uh, walking, and I've got to admit it is so good uh, to be able to walk again uh, while the sun is actually getting up. I find it very hard. Yeah. You know, I normally start about quarter past six in the morning in the middle of winter when the temperature's about three degrees. Oh, dear yeah. me, that is, that is hard work. Um, imagine. But uh, uh, right now I'm, I'm walking and the sun is getting up and the birds are, uh, are flying. Beautiful. And, uh, it, it really is, uh, really is something, uh, something absolutely fantastic. Beautiful. Yeah. Look, let's come to our World Watch uh, segment. Now, look, just very, very recently, two news items recently came across my desk. Uh, both actually concerned Harvard University. Now, of course, Harvard University has got decidedly Christian origins, but they seem to have moved a long way from that at this particular, well, for quite some some years. Um, but the first article that uh, came across my desk was one that was entitled, uh, and I sort of thought, what? How could this possibly be? Uh, but the article was entitled, Harvard University elects an atheist as new chief chaplain. Now, when I read that, I sort of thought, hey, you know, I mean, yeah. uh, this is almost an oxymoron. Yes. But um, um, Har- this is what the article went on to say. Harvard University's newly elected chief chaplain 
is an atheist. Greg Epstein, 44, was recently unanimously elected to the top spot at the college and is set to begin his work just this week. Epstein is the author of the book Good Without God. There is a rising group of people who no longer identify with any religious tradition but still experience the need for conversation and support around what it means to be a good human and live an ethical life, Epstein says. Epstein was raised Jewish and in 2005 received ordination as a humanist rabbi from the International Institute for Secular Humanistic Judaism. That's a mouthful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then he worked as the humanist chaplain for Harvard and later at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. In his new role, Epstein will work with students and help coordinate religious events and counsel students. Greg was the first choice of a committee that was made up of a Lutheran, a Christian scientist, an evangelical Christian and a Baha'i, said Lutheran chaplain, uh, Reverend Kathleen Reed, chairwoman of the nominating committee. We're presenting to the university a vision of how the world could look uh, when diverse traditions focus on how uh, to be good humans and neighbours. Maybe... In a more conservative university uh, climate, uh, there might be questions like, what the heck are they doing at Harvard? Having a (laughs) humanist uh, to be president of the chaplain, she said. But in this environment, it works. Uh, Greg is known for wanting to keep lines of communication open between different faiths. Now, look, when I read this, I sort of thought, hey, this I was certainly one of those people that said, what? How can can this actually work? Now, look, can you tell us, Will, just clarify, what does a chaplain actually do? So in my very limited, if I could just say, in my limited, limited experience, I served a little over a year at, um, at Blue Hills College, Adventist College over in Lismore, North New South Wales. So in my context, I was ministering to, uh, high, you know, pretty much from kindy to, to year 12. So essentially, uh, a chaplain is in many ways, in many ways serves as a pastor. You're offering spiritual uh, guidance. You're there to connect with the students. You know, you're there to be that connecting link between between the secular, if I would put it that way, and and the faith in in, in the faith uh, world. Mm-hmm. And so, an everyday uh, uh, time for me as a chaplain is we would, uh, you know, we would have our our weekly worship with the particular students. So, you know, the singing of. Um, of you know uh, songs uh, of of praise to God, and then uh, there is uh, obviously a message uh, that's uh, from the scriptures. So essentially, when I say chaplain, I, I'm being a little bit I'm narrowing it down from the Christian Judea context, mm-hmm. and so this is quite an interesting article because I can only speak from my uh, you know my limited experience. But chaplains are definitely there, I guess, as a believer, as a Christian, to offer that that uh, I guess. Counsel, uh, biblical counsel to some of the questions that the young people may be asking about life. And, hey, Pastor Will, uh, what does the Bible say about so and so? Or is it okay to do that? So you're kind of offering some simple practical tools that young people may be asking at that particular time of their lives. Okay. Are you ever called on to, for example, to pray with young people in a chaplaincy type role? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, like I said, um, in a, 
in a say a more public forum when it's you know before the whole school body we would call like a chapel service you know there'd be singing almost like a mini church event in in many ways Um, but definitely there's one-on-one conversations or you know you'll have a student who after the program or after a particular meeting they want to pull you aside and ask a question you give your best answer as you're thinking on your feet you're trying to give the best biblical counsel you pray with them Mm. And and as again, I'm stressing, it's within that Christian Judaic count, uh, context. So obviously, there may be uh, uh, students who come who may not have that Christian background, and that's fine. But you know, you're you're trying to connect where they are. You don't want to over theologize. You know what? You know what they're where they're scratching. But you definitely want to give at least some type of. Uh, some type of biblical parameters around what they're saying. Do you think it is it possible yep. to be an atheist and also serve as a true chaplain to do the true chaplaincy type role? Yeah, look, honestly, Gary, this is, you know, look, I, I can't speak exactly to this article because obviously whoever this particular committee was, they they. They want to use it, you know, as to reference your article in this, this hope of bringing diversity. Uh, where is it there? There. We're, we're presenting to the university a vision of how the world could work when diverse traditions focus. I, I, to ask you a question, Gary, that's a tough one. I'll give you a quick example. When I was at college and, um, Every year at the in the um, basketball auditorium, they have like a expo day. You know, all these different career folks coming in with their, you know, literature and whatnot. And I remember the army chaplain was there, and he was in his uniform. And mm-hmm. uh, me and the fellas walked up to his little booth, and and we're oh yeah, we want to be a chaplain. Now, how do we sign up? You know, kind of somewhat humorous about it. But I think one or two of us were. You know, pretty interested. And so part of this, what he said was, well, you have to fill out an application form. And then in that particular you know, uh, questionnaire, questionnaire um, it was very specific that you had to be from a particular faith denomination. They had about eight, nine, either a Baptist or uniting, and there was, there was a few lessons. Yeah. But Seventh-day Adventists weren't on it. And so one of us, uh, you know, said to the fella, well, how would we apply? We're not, we're not listed in the, um, in you know the particular the faith, yeah, yeah. and so one of my uh, friends just kind of jokingly said, "Well, we'll just put down we're a particular like we're a, we're a Pentecostal or a Baptist, but we're not really." And the, and it's interesting. The army fella quipped right back, "Well, well, you're not really being true to what you're saying, are you? You're almost lying on that application." So then we had a joke about it. We went back to our dorms, going, "Why on earth did he come presenting us to be chaplains, and we can't even apply in the first place?" And so. I guess I highlight that, Gary, to say that there's a dilemma, mm. that if you're wanting to get into that space, I mean, I'm talking about applying, but I think, let's just say you are a chaplain, and um, I think it's one of, my own lecturer uh, said to me is, because um, I kind of, after one class, I went up to my lecturer, uh, Murray House, I said to him, Murray, I'm thinking about maybe being a chaplain in one of our, we had to do like a bit of practical experience, you know, over the course of the four years. And I said, what's your thoughts on it, Murray? And he said, he looked right back at me going, and he said, you wouldn't be a, a good chaplain. <laughs> and I said, why is that? He said, because you're an evangelist, William. And he says, when you're an evangelist, you know, you, you preach what the Bible teaches. And, and when you're in those particular places where it's all about diversity and, and everyone's opinions accepted, he, he, he kind of looked at me and said, you may struggle in that because there are times where you may have to give 
say a particular answer that may not be in line with the values of like particularly look imagine here if i was a chaplain in harvard and and someone asked me a question you know where does the where do you draw the line yeah so yeah. i i think what this i think they have good intentions gary this article but you know i couldn't help but when you were reading the one of this uh fellow's uh, credentials greg epstein he he wrote a book called good without god and the, what a very fascinating title because the immediate thing I thought about, Gary, is this concept of good. Mm. And how do we differentiate between good and evil? And obviously, um, Greg's got his spill on that. But see, I think, now this is my personal opinion, there, there may be a slippery slope where if everyone's invited to the party, so to speak, you know, where where do you draw the line when you have some big, and issues. this is actually one of the huge challenges that we are actually facing today and because that actually brings me on to our, you know, this issue of a, of a slippery slope because yep. I think it, it, you've used an excellent illustration there and, uh, you know, how do you actually uh, respond? You know, yep. when does a, a, a pastor or a chaplain stop being a pastor or a chaplain and simply become a social worker? Right. You know, to me, I think this is a uh, this is a challenge because yep. uh, you know, certainly as a minister of religion, one of the things that I'm so conscious of is that I've actually been uh, been called, I believe, by God. I mean, right back at the very beginning, <laughs> I suppose when I started my ministry, I actually came into ministry because I felt yes. that I had been called by God, been called by the supernatural power. Now, of course, if in fact um, <laughs> that, uh, uh, you know, I'm an atheist, then why am I doing what I'm actually doing. Is Christianity more than just simply a good moral force? Well, personally, I believe, believe it is. And, uh, and that to me is, I think that the slippery slope, this one's going on. But you know, uh, to me, uh, just that leads us actually to our second, uh, our second article. All right, you got another one. Uh, I've got a second one here. And again, it comes from Harvard, uh, University. Uh, Harvard Law School, uh, today, uh, promotes polyamory, uh, legislation. It just means there is more love, they uh, they said. And this is what the article said. Six years after three dissenting Supreme Court justices warned that the legalization of same-sex marriage could lead to the legalization of polyamory, um, a, a Harvard Law School publication this month argued precisely for that. Harvard Law Today, a publication of Harvard Law School, uh, on August 3, uh, highlighting alumni and uh, current students are fighting for the legal legalization of polyamory, that is a relationship involving three or more consenting partners. I feel very strongly about it, uh, said one particular uh, lady, a Harvard Law graduate and a corporate lawyer who advocates for the legal recognition of polyamorous uh, relationships. Uh, she acknowledged that uh, polyamory has many critics but responded, from my perspective, it just means that there's more love in the world, uh, that your heart is so big that you're capable of loving multiple people in the same capacity at the same time. Multiple relationships. Right. Wow. This is a, a new battleground seems to be just, uh, just opening up, uh, right now. How would you feel about three wives? <laughs> well, if my wife is watching, uh, listening, well, not if, of course not. It, it can't work. It never will work. It's a, look, I mean, jokes aside, 
Yeah, this is the problem. I, I think where the culture that we we're living in, um, Gary, is that there seems to be a redefining, if you will, of some things that have been part and parcel of 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 culture in, in civilizations. I guess, particularly Christian. You know, well, this is one thing that Christianity did actually transform because certainly in many culture yes. there's been a polyamorous relationships in many different cultures. But of course, Christianity certainly in the uh, Western nations redefined that so that you actually got a definition of marriage that simply said, "Hey, it was a very biblical definition between one man, one one woman." Um, of course, we we've moved on from that as far as uh, gay marriage uh, is actually concerned. But now it's uh, uh, polyamorous relationships is the, is the next step. Um, yeah. Is there a breaking down here? You know what? Just looking at your article, um, Gary, I think for my personal opinion, this particular Alexander Chen, she's, and you just quoted her, from my perspective, it just means there is more love in the world, that your heart is so big you're capable of loving multiple people in the same capacity at the same time. Now, I think the first three words is where the danger is, from my perspective. See, when everyone has their own perspective on various issues, I think everyone's entitled to their own opinion, no question about it. But if we're talking about things, uh, I guess, from our point of view, from a, uh, I guess, a faith perspective, um, you know, that's when God's, you know, inspired word comes in and he gives us the big, the big picture. Yeah. Of life, yeah. creation, what happens after we die. And that's what we're trying to do here on Faith FM is give people a biblical perspective. Not yeah. saying that we, you know, that it's our way or the highway as such, but this is what God is saying. Yeah. And so I couldn't help but think those three words jumping out of the page at me, Gary. From my perspective, I thought about Adam and Eve. When Eve ate the fruit in Genesis, from her perspective, it was harmless. It was this, it was that. Look, all through the Bible, you look at Abraham, one of God's faithful servant. When he entered into these polyamorous relationships, all these headaches, divisions, and so forth, yes, God worked with it. Eventually the 12 tribes came through these um, you know, these these you know, these extra, you know, relationships. But it wasn't God's ideal. Yeah. And so another perspective, all these things are hitting my mind as you were speaking, Gary. You know, when God introduced himself to the Israelites, mm. got them out of Egypt gave them the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. One of the first commandments is, you know, you shall have no other gods. So the idea that I have is our heart is meant to be for God and God alone, not for this plethora of gods that were existing in in, in Moses' time. Yeah, in Canaan. And so this yeah. idea of oneness in the New Testament is very simple. You know, husbands love your wife. You know, it, it's this man-woman uh, relationship. So, yeah, when I read an article like this, I mean, I don't know the person. You know, this Alexander may be a, a very, has some genuine, sincere beliefs behind it. But like anything, if it's totally subjective, like she just says it there in the article, it just means you have more love. So yeah. where does it stop? Does it stop at three? Does it stop at 33? Does it stop at 300? You know, so yeah. I don't know. I, I, for me, I, it's just. I think here, one of the, one of the real challenges is that uh, we've, come to misunderstanding a definition of love. 
You know, right. love is actually what's actually in it for me. You know, I, I can think of, you know, numerous uh, guys out there who might be happy to be in a polyamorous relationship. Uh, but, you know, one of the things I'm so conscious of is certainly the number of examples, certainly in the scriptures, the relationships between the ladies or within that relationship uh, becomes really problematical. Yep. And, uh, you know, love uh, means considering out for somebody else's well-being and not just my own well-being. And, uh, you know, to me, I think we're actually living in a world today which has really uh, come to the point of not understanding yep. uh, what love is actually. Well, I, I love myself when I go to the to the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 13, of course. Yes. It's known as the great uh, uh, love chapter. Yeah, absolutely. And on that particular chapter, you know, it actually defines what love actually is. Yes. And, you know, when, when I read that that passage, I said, you know, mm. love is patient and kind. Love doesn't think of itself. You know, yes. I love the way that that chapter actually describes love because when I understand what love is actually all about, I sort of turn around and I say, hey, what is being called love today is nothing of the sort. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, but look, Will. Let's come to some uh, some music. Uh, really, uh, really love uh, this particular song. This is uh, Randy Travis. Above all, above all powers, above all kings. Of all nations and all creative things Above all wisdom and all the ways of man You were here before the world began Above all kingdoms, above all thrones Above all wonders this world has ever known Above all wealth And treasures of the earth There's no way to measure What you're worth Crucified Laid behind a stone You live to die There's no way to measure what you 
And uh, the song Above All I love uh, that particular rendition uh, Greatly appreciate it Thank you Randy And we've got a giveaway for you today our, our free book today is a book entitled Christ Object Lessons Now all this week uh, We're dealing with the radical teachings In the parables of Christ And uh, we're going to be picking up A different theme each day Today we're simply saying Could God like me uh, All of this uh, comes from a really beaut uh, book The book's entitled Christ Object Lessons Now look this is the sort of book uh, That you could use for your devotional time First thing in the morning I love uh, being able to get up. I'm up fairly early most mornings. I uh, I love being able to do some reading, and then I go out and do my walk after that. But uh, tell me, um, uh, Will, are you familiar with Christ Object Lessons? Absolutely. I've got the book at my house, and um, I love the the book, and I love the insights that are gleaned there. Um, yeah, whenever I'm preaching and um, I'm just kind of in my personal studies and there is, uh, I'm going through one of these particular parables. Yeah, sure enough, I take it off the shelf, have a look at uh, some of the contents there. And there's always something, something beautiful, just a different facet of what the scripture says in, in a different light, different perspective. And it only enriches uh, my understanding of the Bible and it just makes me appreciate these gospel stories so yeah, much more. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I would look- recommend it to anyone who hasn't read it. Um, and if you're listening and you like it, please um, text in because we'd love to put one in your hands. Yeah, yeah. Look, this is uh, uh, this isn't a theological book. This is a devotional book. This is a book that you'll really come to appreciate. If you'd like the book uh, uh, Christ uh, Object Lessons, then uh, uh, please uh, just text us today at our studio text number. It's o four triple eight eight o eight eleven. That number again is o four triple eight. 80811 and just text the code SA14. No gaps, just SA14. And then we have got a lovely, a friendly, a super friendly robot. He will actually contact you and uh, he will actually ask you. Uh, he'll say, what is your name? And he'll get the information uh, that we need so that we can send this book to you. And so all you've got to do on your uh, text is uh, send to uh, 04 80811 uh, just SA11 and our friend, the good man robot, uh, will contact you. He's a, he's a lovely, he's a super <laughs> friendly robot. It's, uh, uh, it's great to be in contact with him from, uh, from time to time. Uh, you are listening to, uh, Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with, uh, Pastor Gary. Uh, today our co-host is, uh, Will Moala, Pastor Will Moala, and Will is a senior pastor of the Para Vista Seventh-day Adventist Church and also of the Gawler, uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church. And this week, uh, we're taking as our theme the radical teachings in the parables of Christ. And today we're asking, could God really like me? You know, this is so core to both our understanding of the character of God and also to the work of Christ. You know, one of the things I'm so conscious of is that we actually live in an increasingly post-biblical world. Increasingly, I'm conscious that a lot of even young people are seeing little hope for their lives. I'm conscious that here 
even in Australia today, I just uh, picked up the uh, uh, the suicide rate here in Australia, and this is increasing as a result of COVID as we speak. Uh, but this was the a report as I picked it up today. Uh, suicide is the leading cause of death amongst young Australians. Mm. More than 350 young people aged 18 to 24 take their own lives every year, 350 mm. That's more than die on the roads. For every, and then what really impacted me, for every youth suicide, there are 100 to 200 more attempts. Wow. Do you know, when I, when I read that, uh, Will, I sort of thought, hey, this is, this is hugely, hugely challenging. And, you know, our theme today, could God like me? You know, I'm so conscious that uh, so many are struggling today. Uh, they feel unloved. Unwanted, mm-hmm. uh, undesired. And yet, you know, when I come to the scriptures, what I find is a picture of a God who is exactly the opposite, you know. Uh, to yep. me, is there a message in the scriptures uh, following the theme that we're looking at today that might answer or go some way to answering some of the issues that our society is facing? Absolutely, Gary. We're going to be looking at, um, Two particular uh, parables uh, that's found in the New Testament in the Gospel of Luke, and so um, if you don't mind, we we might read it for our listeners um, on on the airways today. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just want to open up this uh, beautiful text of scripture. And what I love about what we're going to read today, Gary, is um, there is this beautiful, loving God who deeply is passionate about each and every one of us, yeah. regardless of whether yeah. we know God, regardless of whether we claim to be a faith person or not. Um, the beautiful thing about this, uh, what we're going to read today, is is a God who cares. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and it's something that the world needs to hear. And when you read those statistics, I mean, 350 young people taking their lives, think of all the families that are devastated. They'll be carrying those scars for the rest of their life. And here is a God that says, hey, you know, I love you. I have a plan for your life, yeah. and if you just hold on and you just trust me, I'll give your life meaning and hope. Uh, even though the world around us may be giving us a different perspective, God wants to give us a, a message of hope and, and meaning and purpose. So if you don't mind, Gary, do you want to dive in and we can... Uh, oh, I'd love to, love to. Would read, you like me to read it or... Yeah, why don't you read it for us? Okay, well, this is... Uh, we're actually talking about, of course, the parable of the lost sheep. And uh, mm. and this is actually found in Luke chapter chapter 15, if any of any of our listeners want to pick it up in their own own Bible. Uh, then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him and, uh, and the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners... Uh, He eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them and said, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, doesn't leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and goes after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and he goes rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. For I found the sheep that was lost. I say to you, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over the one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Amen. 
Would you like me to keep going uh, on that one? Well, I'll, I'll go. Let me. There's a second parable, yeah. which is a very similar one, actually, sure. as well. And let me just just read the second one. Okay, it, please. It's actually the parable of the lost coin. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, when she loses one coin, doesn't light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together, saying, "Rejoice with me, for I found the piece that was lost." Likewise, I say to you. There is joy in the presence of the angels mm. over one sinner who repents. Amen. So thank you for reading, Gary. Um, and look, these are two beautiful illustrations, two parables that really God uh, opens up or Jesus opens up to, I think, really drive home an important lesson. Now, just a couple of things. Um, you know, when you read this chapter, it's in chapter 15. There's actually another uh, story right after the lost coin. It's the parable of the lost son. And we're going to save that for tomorrow. So please continue to listen in the rest of the week. And then we're going to unpack that and, and other parables this coming week. But if I could just say a couple of preliminary remarks, um, Gary, because the title of our, our, our studio time today is uh, Good God, Could God Like Me? And that's a powerful question because so many people in our world have uh, have a view of themselves that they don't feel worthy, they don't feel special, they don't feel that they're, there's there any good or any value within them. I want to say to you, if you are one of those people listening tonight or today as you're listening to this program, I want to tell you under the authority of God that you are valued, that you are a person of worth, not because I say it, because God says it. And these two stories we're going to look at today really highlight that. So let me just go back to the, the first one, the parable of uh, the lost uh the lost sheep. Now, before we jump into it, what is a parable? Essentially, a parable is simply uh, a spiritual, a simple story used to illustrate a moral or a spiritual lesson. And this is what Jesus did. He would take everyday stories, everyday accounts of what the people of his day were experiencing in real life, and he was using those stories to illustrate a heavenly, a moral, a spiritual lesson. So let's go back to the text there, and we'll look at uh, some some remarks that we pull out of um, this uh, first text here. Uh, So when you go to Luke 15, and uh, it begins by saying, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him and to hear him. Now, let's just pause for a second, Gary. When we see the word tax collectors, let's be honest, we, we don't think tax collectors are you know, super evil people. I mean, I got we got our tax <laughs> That's done. part of life, isn't it? That's right. I mean, I've got my tax tax done. You know, uh, as as everyone else did around, you know, around July or a little couple of months ago. We don't think of them bad as people, but in Jesus's day, um, tax collectors were widely viewed as dishonest and by Jews as collaborators with the Roman occupation. So so in a nutshell, tax collectors weren't good people. Mm. Uh, the Jews didn't like them because some of them were Jews and they felt that they were backstabbing their own people to work for the Romans who were the then known ruling power of Jesus' day. But the text says in verse 1, then all the tax collectors and the sinners. Now that's an interesting observation because it differentiates sinners from the tax collectors. Now the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what these particular people did, but it obviously is Luke's making a point that there were people that you would say you don't want to be, they weren't necessarily the... And yet the thing I appreciate about that particular phrase is it says that uh, Jesus was appealing yeah. to those who are sinners. Yes. And you know, to me, isn't that a beautiful thought? 
You know, to, to me, as I think of that, um, I, Will, I, I'm just so conscious that we serve a God yep. who is actually, uh, he goes searching. I mean, this parable yes. is the parable of the, the lost sheep, but just in that preliminary section, yeah. it says, hey, the sinners actually found Christ appealing. Now, yeah. you know, you know, so many in, in our world today struggle for friendships. Yes. And yet here we've got, you know, Christ being found appealing by people that society did not find appealing. What a picture. That's a beautiful picture. And just to kind of add on to that, Gary, um, when the Bible is saying, um, you know, the Pharisees and scribes, these religious leaders in verse 2, they were complaining. And it said there in verse 2, this man man receives sinners and eats with them. And my understanding is, is when Jesus ate with them, he... Almost from a Pharisee's perspective that he was almost in endorsing what they were doing. Yeah. So for and for the religious person in Jesus' day, you didn't associate with the sinners. You weren't you weren't seen in public. So here is the beautiful teaching point that I believe is relevant for us today. Jesus sits and dines with all people, all classes, doesn't matter who they are. And and, and this is a beautiful picture of God. And, and it was it must have, you know, upset the Pharisees described because that was their, you know, their remark towards Jesus. How dare he sit with them? You know, if he knew what they these people were like, he wouldn't be sitting with them. And I guess that's why the Pharisees and the scribes had so much uh, problem at time accepting Jesus because he was doing things that were outside the box. Yeah. He wasn't yeah. being this rigid, in-the-box, you know, religious zealot. He was mingling with the people. He Children would sit on his lap. He would, you know, he would talk to the common laborer. He wasn't too, he, he, was, he was a people person. And, you know, the thing I, I appreciate here, actually, is that he then moves on to actually, and we do have to come on to the parable itself, he, he did actually tell this parable yeah. about the lost sheep. And, of yeah. course, he, he himself is actually the master shepherd. Amen to that. And what we find here is that I believe what Christ is saying is that he's prepared to leave those even the faithful ones um, together yep. in a safety of the of the fold, and go out and des- and search for the one who is actually lost. Yeah. To me, when I realise that, you know, one of the things I'm I'm just so conscious of, Will, uh-huh. is that in in my ministry, um, the number of times I've actually seen people, uh, people's lives turned on their head uh, as a result of coming to Jesus Christ. They somehow, yes. somehow Jesus finds them. They don't find Christ, but Jesus... I, I will remember yeah. on one particular occasion, um, a fellow, he's, it was... Well, his name was George, and uh, I remember one of my church members said to me, they said, Pastor Gary, please go and visit George. We need to, vi- we need to visit George. So one day I made an, I made an appointment, went to visit George, and uh, George was living in a, uh, in a house for homeless men. And um, as I as I turned up, I smelled a smell that I had smelt before. I knew what I was smelling, and it was uh, he, he was smoking dope. 
and uh, uh, he was mm. off his head um, and I knew that I really wasn't going to get very much sense out of him on that particular yeah. uh, on that particular occasion so I I went my way after you know a few pleasantries and uh, I went back to our, our church member and said yeah and told her what had happened and I have to admit I wasn't all that enthusiastic about going back to visit uh, to visit George mm. but you know my church member didn't actually give up um, quite as easily as what I did. Somehow, that church member presented George with Jesus Christ. Wow. And, you know, the next time I actually saw George was when I, I walked into the church. Oh. And uh, I, 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 this, this, was a, this was a Saturday morning. I walked in, and do you know how sometimes you do a double take? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because you're not quite sure that what yep. you saw. Here was uh, George. Uh, he was up the front. He was singing <laughs> with the music group up the front oh, wow. uh, with my church member. And I thought, oh, I give up. I give up. I give up. <laughs> Last time I had seen George, he was off his head uh, yeah. because he'd been smoking. But, you know, I had the privilege of actually baptizing George. Wow. The, um, but the change that I saw in George uh, simply because he had met Jesus Christ was yeah. such. It was such a powerful change. Yeah. It 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 impacted. You know, Jesus had found him, mm. and you know, to me, when I uh, when I realised what had actually taken place, there, I, I could only look and say, "Hey, Lord." Thank you for the really yeah. good things yeah. that that you've that you've actually done here, and, and I could just tell story after story. Yeah. And, and to me, that's what this parable is actually is yeah. actually saying. Um, but look, I think we better let's come to some music. Uh, I, uh, um, I I I love this uh, this particular song. This is Michael W. Smith. Uh, uh, Ancient words is a powerful um, yeah. message in uh, in this song. Uh, please enjoy uh, Michael uh, W. Smith. Ancient words. Holy words, long preserved for our walk in this world, they resound with God's own heart.
is Michael W. Smith and uh, the the song Ancient Words. Love the words of that song. Uh, the words of the scriptures are so powerful. They're life-changing. They really touch and uh, and change people's uh, people's lives. Now look, just remember that uh, free offer that we have for you today is the book Christ Object Lessons. This isn't heavy theology. Uh, this is talking about the parables of Christ. It's an excellent devotional book. It's a sort of book I use as my devotional in my devotional time, first thing in the morning. You'll love uh, this particular book and really appreciate those of you who have already requested uh, that uh, uh, that book. Now look, if you would like your own copy of Christ Object Lessons, that number again is 04888 808 11. That number is 04888 808 11. And um, Simply put, uh, SA14, no gap, just SA14, and our friend Mr. Robot, uh, he'll, uh, he'll contact you and, uh, he'll get the details off you that, uh, that we need, uh, so that we can send you the, uh, uh, that book, uh, Christ Object Lessons. Uh, you're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with, uh, Pastor Gary, and our co-host is Pastor Will Mawala, and Will is, uh, pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church at, uh, Paravista, and also out at Gola. And this week, we're taking as our theme radical teachings in the parables of Christ. And today we're asking, could God really like me? And we're digging into two uh, parables in uh, in Luke uh, chapter chapter fifteen. It's so key to understanding both the character of God and the work of Christ. We'll bring it together for us, will you? Um, what else are these two parables saying? So it really, so I love that story that we went to before the break because it really highlights that, that God takes the initiative yeah. and that dear saint, that lady, if it was a lady that, that kept going back to that particular George, it was God working on that lady's heart. And in God's heart, if I, if I could just kind of wrap this up today, God loves every person on the face of this earth. And what these parables teach us, very quickly, just to, if I could just share a couple of statements from the actual chapter, Christ Object Lessons, this man receives sinners in kind of opening up Luke 15. Um, the lost sheep, this is the, a quote from the book, the lost sheep knows that it is lost. It has left the shepherd and the flock. It cannot recover itself. It represents those who realize that they are separated from God and who are in a cloud of perplexity, in humiliation, and sorely tempted. So on the one hand, the sheep may have had a relationship with God, Gary. Maybe they once went to church and through a series of things that have happened in their life, they've lost their way. They don't know how to go back. And, and that's the, the, the lost sheep. Then the lost coiner, I think it's even more powerful. 
So if the lost sheep perhaps once knew the shepherd's voice, but for some reason left the shepherd and has lost its way, back to the book, the lost coin represents those who are lost in sins, but who have no sense of their condition. They are estranged from God, but they know it not. You know, um, Gary, I couldn't help but George, you know, when he was out there on his drugs and doing his own thing, he... Perhaps God was the last thing on his mind. Yeah. But you know the beautiful thing, Gary? I, I have to share this bit because it's so cool. And then um, probably um, end on this. Talking about the lost coin. The coin, though lying among dust and rubbish, is a piece of silver steel. Mm. Its owner seeks it because it is of value. So every soul, however degraded by sin, is in God's sight accounted precious. As the coin bears the image and superscription of the reigning power, so man at his creation bore the image and superscription of God. What does that tell us, Gary? It says that every person on the face of this earth, whether they are a sheep or a coin, they are loved by God. And I, if we had more time, you know, each one of us has a story. I believe the reason, Gary, why we why we are pastors because we have felt God's call. On our lives, we may have been the coin, we may have been the sheep, but either way, God got through to us. And so, what a beautiful thing to have the privilege of radio to talk to someone out there today, Gary, who may be that coin, that sheep, mm-hmm. don't know their way back. I just want to say to that particular individual, God is only one prayer away. Mm. You know, I really appreciate what you're actually saying there because one of the things that a lot of people don't actually realize is that when they come to Jesus Christ, yeah. they're actually viewed by God in a very special way. Now, one of the books mm. of the Bible that I actually really like is the book of First John. I call All it right. the, I call it the, the 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 Gospel of Little John because of course <laughs> you got the Gospel of John, and then you got the letters written by John, and I call this Little John, Little John. Right. because it's only got two or three chapters in it, but First John chapter three, it's right towards the end of the Bible, yes. and uh, it actually it actually says this: "Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God." And you know, to mm. me, when you actually have, when you are actually called the children of the Most High God, yep. that actually gives you a status. You know, if I go to um, a Peter, you know, I love what. Peter actually says, and this is First uh, Peter chapter two. Yes. Uh, and Peter is actually says this, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, Amen. His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous yes. light, who were once not the people of God, but are now the people of God, mm. who had not attained mercy, but have now. Uh, do you know? As I sort of look at that, I say, hey, uh, this is a picture. I don't know about about you will but to me i see a picture of incredible hope amen in these particular Absolutely. i mean here we have got the character of god being personified in a way that you don't often see you often don't don't hear um and when a person comes to christ they are actually regarded by god as a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation his own special people you know it, it, i look at this and i say hey this is specialness <laughs> you know it, you know and to me, my heart goes out, you know. I mean, I, I know that I've, in my ministry, I've had to, um, conduct the funerals of, uh, of people who have committed suicide. And you know, on every occasion, 
my heart just goes out to the family. Mm. My heart goes out to the to the um, to the, to the parents, and particularly when a young person is involved, mm-hmm. uh, because what it has said to me is that th- these in these situations uh, there there is. There is a hopelessness mm. that has taken over the mind of the individual. And yet, you know, to me, what a beautiful picture when a person can say, behold, what manner of love that I am a child of God. You know, And here we've got a God who has actually come and he's gone searching yep. as a lost sheep. Amen. Do, do you see the picture on this? Beautiful. Absolutely. It, this this is really something. I I, I well remember, you know, another uh, fellow that um, I was actually I had the real privilege of uh, of baptizing, and he actually he actually came from a from a drug background as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said to me, he said, uh, Gary, he said, I need to tell you on the day on the day of my baptism, he said I was higher. Now I didn't mean drug higher. He meant that he was the spirit lifted yep. him higher yes. uh, than uh, than he'd ever felt uh, under the influence of drugs. And Praise you know, God. to me, I look at that and I say, "Hey, I mean, that guy had been into fairly strong stuff, yep. and yet somehow, when the shepherd actually found him, mm. that it's at that point that suddenly there was a transition." In his life, you yeah. know, and I love uh, that that particular picture. But look, we're coming very close to the end of our program. But look, just a, just a bit of a practical application. Uh, Will, if I feel that I'm the the lost sheep or I'm the lost coin, how do I go about responding? How how do I go about you know becoming the son, the daughter, you know, the king, the heir, the ambassador that Christ wants me to be? Yeah. How do I come? Yeah. How does it make that transition? I'm reminded, Gary, of a what Jesus t- says in the last book of the Bible in Revelation. He says in chapter three, he says, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears um, hears his voice and opens the door, he will come in." And he will sup with him. In other words, he'll have a meal. He wants to get to know you. And so my encouragement from God's word, from the words of Jesus himself, he invites us to open the door. And so if you're listening today, it's simply saying, Lord Jesus, I open the door of my heart. Please come in. I want to know you. Mm. Oh, I want to know this God that I've heard about today on the radio. And if we, and if our heart is open to allow God in, the Holy Spirit will come in and start speaking to us and start revealing this beautiful picture of God that we have described today. And don't take my word for it. That is the words of Jesus himself. And so for anyone listening, whatever you're going through right now at this very hour, we're here to say that there is hope because Jesus is our hope. Mm. So pray that prayer. We'll leave it to God. I'm wondering how would you feel about praying I'd right now? Would you pray that Absolutely. you know for that individual who may not know how to pray? Let's do that. Father in heaven, I pray for someone that is listening today who is your spirit has touched their heart and they want to open their hearts to you. Father, I just pray that as you listen to their prayer, wherever they are, whether they're at home, they're driving in their car, Lord, that as they open up their heart to you, Lord, that your spirit will come into their hearts and you would speak words of life, words of hope. Open up this beautiful gospel that we have just touched the surface of today. And Lord, as you read each heart that is responding to you, we are thankful 
that the word of God says that, that, that Jesus will come in through the person of his spirit and abide in their hearts. Thank you for the promise that with you that there is hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, folks, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary, Pastor Will Moala on Drive Time, big Q&A. Uh, please join us tomorrow when I'm returning again with Eric Hoare to spend the entire time looking at the question, will he have me back? Uh, we look at the parable of the prodigal son. Really look forward to seeing you. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you.